Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm looking at Revelation chapter 5 in my Bible, and I'm going to invite you to be finding Revelation chapter 5 in your Bible. Anytime that we are studying from God's Word, I think that that's always enhanced by us looking in the Scriptures for ourselves and just getting familiar with our own Bible. And so let's get ready to do that for these next few minutes as we work together in beginning in Revelation chapter 5. It is great to be with you this morning, and it is a beautiful first day of the week. And this is a very special first day of the week, because not only is it the Lord's Day, but this is also uh, the beginning. It is the first day of our special series of meetings here at Lakeside. It is the beginning of our gospel meeting, our gospel tent meeting. We've invited Brother Raymond Costello from Burksville, Kentucky, to come and be with us for these next four nights. And so I'm looking forward to that. I hope that you'll be excited about that and be eager to uh, take part in that in every way that you possibly can as well, uh, which is why this morning I'd like to do something a little bit different. I'd like to be, well, I'd like to be a little bit more brief than I usually am. Uh, I don't think anybody has ever complained about me preaching shorter sermons than I normally do, uh, but this morning, kind of in anticipation for some really great and uh, heavy preaching that's going to be going on for these next four nights, I'd like to be a little bit more on the abbreviated side because I'd really like for us to just think about and focus on just one idea this morning. It's an idea that I've been thinking about and uh, this really just seems like the perfect opportunity to talk about this one thing that I think will really just help us to focus on our Savior, to think about Jesus in a special kind of way, maybe in a way that we've not given nearly as much attention to. And so I'd like to do that this morning, beginning in Revelation, the fifth chapter. Read with me, if you will, in Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. In Revelation 5 and in verse 1, there John says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open this scroll and break its seals? And no one, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Let me take you back in time several years. Back in April of 1986, the city of Chernobyl in the Ukraine was struck by the worst nuclear disaster in history. On April the 26th of that year, one of the four nuclear reactors at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant exploded, which led to the loss of thousands of lives and did more than $7 billion worth of damage. The problems happened actually on the evening before that, on April the 25th, when the night crew came in to conduct a safety test on reactor number four. For some unexplained reason, that created a sudden power surge, which in turn led to a series of blasts that blew the 1,000-ton steel top off of the reactor, which then led to steam exploding out of it, actually was visible in the night sky. And that then was followed by a complete meltdown of the reactor's core. In the days that followed, over 130,000 people were evacuated from the immediate area. And furthermore, a radiation-laden cloud began to spread over much of Western Europe. Two people died in the initial explosion. That then was followed by 29 firefighters who died from ARS, that's Acute Radiation Syndrome, 
after they had been exposed to high amounts of radiation while trying to extinguish the fires. And then, in the years and the decades that followed, the World Health Organization estimated that there were about 30,000 additional deaths that were the result of radiation-triggered cancer and other diseases all caused by the disaster at Chernobyl. Now after the firefighters got the initial reactor fires under control, that usually was, that sort of was kind of settled down by the beginning part of May, Soviet officials realized that they weren't completely out of the woods just yet. They actually came to realize that there was another problem, in fact a bigger problem. That reactor core was actually turning into molten lava so hot that it was melting the concrete underneath it. And underneath that reactor were large reservoirs of water that had now started to be contaminated with radiation. And if that reactor melted that concrete all the way down to the point that it got into the large vats of water, then another explosion, far more severe than the initial ones, another explosion would occur and in all likelihood would end up setting off reactor number one, number two, and number three. The damage that was estimated, if that were to occur, was that all of Western Europe would be affected and rendered unlivable for at least a century and that millions of people would die. And so... The Soviet officials who were in charge of the cleanup and in charge of seeing to it that no further disaster took place, they called together all of the workers at Chernobyl and they sat them down in a room and they told them there are valves to these water reservoirs but somebody has to go down into the radiation-filled waters and open the valves and let the water out. Can I say that again? Someone has to go down into the radiation-filled waters and open the valves and let the water out. Realizing that volunteers probably would not be quickly forthcoming, the government promised that family members of those who volunteered would receive an annual stipend for life. At this point, no one had volunteered. And so one of the workers tepidly asked the question that all of the workers were already thinking. He said, this is a suicide mission. Why should we do this? To which the lead Soviet official responded, he said, you'll do it because it has to be done. You'll do it because no one else can. You'll do it because if you don't, millions will die. It was at that point that three men slowly but very courageously stood up. Those three men were later nicknamed the Suicide Squad. Alexei Anenko, Valery Bespalov, and Boris Baranov. They took those three men and they put them in wetsuits and sent them in to waist-high radiated waters in the pitch dark with only flashlights to see by. What confronted them when they got into those waters was an incredible array of pipes and lines and wires, a maze that they said was like trying to find a needle in a haystack. But by luck, 
or perhaps by the providence of God, they did find it. They found an active water line and they traced it all the way back to the valve that they then opened up, releasing the water, and in the process, they saved millions of lives. Amazingly, those wetsuits and the other protective gear that they were wearing spared them from any deadly harm by the radiation. And in fact, to this very day, two of those three men are still living. The Suicide Squad. Why should we risk our lives, they asked. Well, you'll do it because no one else can. Which brings me back to our opening text in Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation 5, John sees this amazing vision of a scroll, a book, that inside its pages offers salvation unto all people. But there's a problem. The book is sealed. It's closed shut. And no one is able to open it, the text says. In fact, verse 4 says, no one could be found. No one in the heavens, no one on earth, no one even under the earth. In fact, not even in verse 2, that mighty and strong angel was able to open the seals. And so John says that he began to weep because no one was qualified, no one was capable, no one was worthy of opening this book. But then, then verse 5, Then one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. What Revelation chapter 5 is saying is it is announcing to John and it is announcing to us even today that Jesus Christ, He brought salvation because no one else can. He fulfilled the mission that only He was uniquely qualified to do. Jesus took on the unbelievable, in fact the unenviable task of coming to earth and living a sinless life so as to make Himself the one time for all time offering for sin that makes forgiveness possible. And He is the only one who could do that. And I want to suggest to you this morning that Jesus, Jesus was not forced to do that. Jesus was not made to do that against His will. Jesus did not go to the cross reluctantly in some way. Furthermore, Jesus' death was not the result of being bribed or being tricked into going to Calvary. No, 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 no. I am fully persuaded. In fact, I believe Scripture bears this out. That much like those three workers at Chernobyl, Jesus volunteered. He did. He volunteered to be the sacrifice that we so desperately needed. In Hebrews the 10th chapter, please. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer here, he actually speaks of the insufficiency of the Old Testament system. And he says in Hebrews chapter 10, he says in verse 4, he says, for it is impossible, impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Animal sacrifices, it could never get the job done. Even bringing the very best of your flocks will never 
ever take away sin. And so, verse 5, consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold... I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. What Jesus came and said is He said, God, I'll do it. I'll provide the blood that pays the price of redemption. And why? Because no one else can. Jesus volunteers Himself to the Father and He says, I will do your will. In fact, we see that kind of determination on Jesus' part all throughout the Gospels. Again and again and again. Jesus is steadfast about going to the cross. In Luke the ninth chapter, for example, in Luke chapter 9, as Jesus is speaking to His disciples, He says to them in verse 22, He says, The Son of Man must, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. I want you to notice that Jesus did not say the Son of Man could suffer many things or that the Son of Man might suffer many things. No, He said, I must. It was imperative that He do what no one else could. In fact, drop on down in Luke chapter 9 where Luke goes on to say in verse 51 that from that time on, Jesus set His face to go to Jerusalem. One translation actually says He was resolute about going to Jerusalem. How often do we think about that? How often do we think about Jesus being resolute, determined that He was going to go to the cross? And I'm not suggesting that Jesus was some kind of a a masochist who just kind of revels in being tortured and inflicting pain upon Himself. No, 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 no. I'm talking about that Jesus was determined to go and accomplish the very work that would save you and save me from an eternity in hell. It is that. That is what drove Jesus to do what no one else could do. In fact... Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, even as Jesus agonized in prayer mere hours before He would be nailed to the cross, I believe even there we see Jesus' determination. In Luke the 22nd chapter, Jesus is no doubt beginning to feel the anxiety of what is about to come. And so He humbly makes this request in verse 42. He says, Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from Me. Can you almost hear the words of those three Chernobyl workers in that statement? Why should we do this? This is a suicide mission. Why should I go? Give me a reason that this has to happen. And then almost immediately, Jesus seems to answer His very own question when He goes on to say, Nevertheless, Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus recognized that the Father needs the Son to do His will because no one else can. And you know, just as those three Chernobyl workers found the courage to step forward and to lay it 
all on the line in order to benefit others, Jesus in much the same way, and Jesus in a much greater way, He found the courage and bravely He stepped into a mess. And it wasn't His mess, it was our mess. And He laid down His life in a stunning self-sacrifice which makes it possible for you and for me to be reconciled unto God. And while it is certainly spine-tingling to contemplate what would have happened if those three men had not stepped forward on that fateful day, think about all of the lives and all of the damage that would have taken place. All of the the innocent life, the lives of, of, of men and women and children of every kind, all of that would have been lost. How much more sobering is it to contemplate where we would be if it were not for Jesus doing what no one else could do. We would be lost. We would be lost spiritually, hopelessly, miserably lost, eternally separated from God without any hope at all. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that we don't have to imagine that. We don't have to imagine a life or an existence where Jesus was able but not actually willing to do the thing that only He was able to do. No, praise God that Jesus did come and He did suffer and He did bleed and He did die so that you and I can have the hope of an eternity with Him in heaven someday. In fact, it is for this very reason that we give worship and we give glory and we give honor, and we give the service of our lives to Jesus, not just on this day, but every single day. Because He alone is worthy, He's the only one that could do it. In that heavenly scene back in Revelation chapter 5 once again, after Jesus does open up that seal, He does the thing that no one else is able to do. The response from the heavenly host is this in Revelation chapter 5 and in verse 9. They then sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God. Verse 11 continues on, Then I looked again. And I heard the voice of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and they sang. They sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and they sang, Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Do you see? We are here this morning to honor the only being who could ever redeem us from our sins. And while I do have great admiration for those three brave men from Chernobyl some 35 years ago, and others who do heroic acts and deeds for the benefit of others, as great as that is, there is only one, only one who could ever ransom me and save me from my sins, who could ever pull me up out of that pit and then take me out of the domain of darkness 
and then transfer me, place me safely in the kingdom of His marvelous light. And who is that? It is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb of God, Jesus the Christ. And so it is on this day, the Lord's day, that my admonition is to each and every one of us that we will give special consideration and give special honor today as we think about Jesus, the only one who can. He did what no one else could do. Can we pray to God and thank God for that? Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Our Almighty God and our Father in heaven, Father, we come before you this morning thanking you and praising you for the gift of your Son. Father, we come confessing that there are not enough thank yous, there are not enough good deeds that we could ever do to begin to repay you for the glorious gift that you have given us through your Son, Jesus. But Father, we do pray that as we live our lives each and every day, that we will conduct ourselves in such a way that we would be a reflection of Christ and Him crucified and that we might live in a way that would point others to the One who is able to do what no one else can. Father, thank You for Jesus, for His life, for His example, for the words that He spoke. Most of all, Father, we're thankful for the death that He died and for His glorious resurrection and His ascension back into heaven where we know He is reigning right now as the Lord of Lords, and as the King of kings. Father, help us each day that we might live for Him. And we thank You for that, and we praise You for Jesus, and it is through His blessed name that we offer this prayer. And amen.